Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, discussing all things audiobooks with the authors that write the stories and the narrators that perform them, including a special series with narrator Shane East. The Audiobook Lovin' Podcast is brought to you by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast. My guest today is author Kennedy Ryan. Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, Kennedy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to have you and be able to talk to you and get to know you better and have our listeners do that as well. Um, Why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been writing and how you got started. Well, I write romance um, with kind of strong, usually kind of like strong elements of women's fiction. I focus a lot on the woman's journey um, in my books, but of course, in the context of usually a pretty epic love story (laughs) that (laughs) often spans years and years and years because I really enjoy that. Um, I've been writing, well, I've been writing, people always say I've been writing all my life. Um, I really have been, it feels like my background is journalism and I first started, my first job was at our city newspaper when I was like 17 years old. I was still in high school. So um, I started writing editorials when I was in high school for our newspaper and then went on journalism school and um, uh, focused in PR and um, writing, you know, for nonprofit organizations, technical writing, ghost writing, things like that. And um, really did. And then uh, I'm really passionate about autism. I'm an autism a mom and I started writing a lot around autism and autism advocacy and um, like chicken soup for the soul, autism parenting, things like that. And um, it wasn't until maybe about six years ago, I think about six years ago, if I'm doing the math right, (laughs) that I actually started writing romance, even though I've I've been a romance reader, gosh, since I was like 12. So for a very long time. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that's me. So, you know, and I'm, I'm really excited to talk about all things romance today. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you. What was the earliest experience where you learned that language, like the written word, has power? that has power yeah like what you write and you know impacts others and that storytelling or that you know sharing of the information you've been writing for Um, a while (laughs) yeah yeah i have i think i mean i've always known that like in the sense that even how i started writing my first love was poetry Mm -hmm. and i started writing poetry when i was really young um, before I re- it wasn't technically anything technically sound, you know, it was just kind of feelings. Um, but I had always thought that my, my father is um, <laughs> a very disciplined man, reserved. He is um, uh, dean of students and a president of university. So he's very much, you know, and very much uh, academician kind of person. And so I'd always seen him as that kind of person. And I came across some poems in our garage and I asked my mom, they were just these incredibly passionate poems, not even passion like love passion, but it was about social justice and it was from the seventies and it was just all this activism poetry. And I was like, who wrote this? And my mom was like, your father. And it was completely so different than how I saw him. And there was just something about all of that passion on the page for my dad that made me really 
want to tap into writing. Um, my father always really encouraged language in our house. He used to have me read the dictionary. And so I would literally, he would literally assign me like C, <laughs> you oh, know, wow. and I would have to read the, you know, I just read words and he'd come home and he'd quiz me on, and we'd have like these battles. We would go back and forth on C words until one of us stumped the other. You know, that was kind of like our game, which sounds really nerdy and weird and I'm hearing no. <laughs> that in my ears and I realize that sounds nerdy and weird. But um, so my father used to tell me when you're, when you're reading, anytime you come across a word that you don't know, write it down and get the definition. And then within a week, make sure that you're using that word in a sentence, in a conversation. And so that was, I've always had, he really sowed in me this real love for language. And I think when I saw, so I've always had a real attachment to language. Writing is very important to me. For me, it's not good enough. Uh, just a good story is not enough for me as a reader. It can't just be that you're a good storyteller. It's the way the story is told. It's the language that's used. And it makes me a pretty finicky reader, actually. <laughs> and so um, that's always been really important to me. I think when I first started really seeing emotional power in language is I mentioned that I'm an autism mom. Mm -hmm. And when I started writing for, you know, parent magazines, and I was a contributor for a while to modern mom magazine and just different mom, you know, publications writing about autism. I saw when I shared my experiences as an autism mom and as an autism family, um, the kind of response that it evoked and the kind of connection, especially from other families who were going through some of, some of those similar things or who'd had similar experience or, or felt like our, I articulated something in an article that they had been feeling but couldn't put words to, or this sense of being seen, um, being seen and identifying with um, something that was being written that maybe they hadn't, they hadn't seen themselves in before. And I think that was a real um, predecessor for how I approach fiction. Um, because one of the things that's really, really important to me in fiction is representation, um, is identity, um, is making sure that what I'm writing is resonating with people emotionally, that they see themselves in my work, um, that different people who may have been on the periphery of kind of mainstream fiction, mainstream romance, get the chance to see themselves in story um, and get to see themselves um, getting a happily ever after, especially marginalized groups is one thing that I write around a lot because for so long, I'm a black woman. And when I was growing up, when I was reading romance, I didn't see myself a lot in romance. You know, I didn't see girls who look like me getting these happily ever afters. And so I think there's real power in being seen. I think there's a lot of power in identifying with, um, with personhood and who you're seeing on the written page, get to be happy and get to have joy and get to be at the center of the story. And so um, that's something that's really important to me and something that is, I think, kind of a hallmark of my work. It's definitely something that when I talk to fellow readers and listeners and your name comes up, it's definitely something that is automatic brought up is mm -hmm. your you know the diversity in your books yeah. and how you also talk about some difficult topics right and <laughs> right that sometimes we're, we know we're going okay this is going to be a deep read I need yes. a glass of wine you know <laughs> or, or a bottle <laughs> or a bottle or yeah. even we may have to put it away for right now until we're right. in a better mood but it's right. gonna get to it um, yep. But that also says that there is that emotional connection to the work. Yeah. 
because sometimes you know people say oh my god that was so hot or oh my god that was so emotional and you reading you're going it was right (laughs) right (laughs) okay yeah and I do get that a lot like I do get people who um I've, I've gotten it really ever since I started writing fiction, but um, I have this one book that I wrote called Long Shot. Um, and it was kind of the first book that I had written that I got all these messages from readers who said they had to stop reading. They would have to stop and then start back. And their Apple Watch would tell them to breathe because they were holding their breath. I mean, there's a real, you know, it's a di- certain, some of my stories are very difficult. And I do recognize that. Um, and I'm, I'm usually pretty careful about trying to make sure that people know content warnings and things like that so that they can decide if those stories are too intense for them. Cause I know that some of my stories are, and, um, I like to make sure readers know that. So, but for people who, you know, if, if it's something that, um, they they do get into i hope that even though it's dif- some of the topics are difficult that it's worth it and i don't just write hard books i think i have a reputation somehow that i just write these really really hard <laughs> books and you you know it's going to be you'll sob through the whole thing you know it's still a romance and there's still a guaranteed happily ever after it's just Usually the road to it is pretty intense. Yes, the ride. Right, it's definitely a ride usually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. It it provides um, some variety Mm -hmm. in the the you know the book world as far as what kind of books that we want to listen to or, or read whether mm-hmm. it's a rom com or something a little bit more deeper or if it's a contemporary right. or a paranormal right you know so it's just there's something for everybody which is one of the reasons why I love this community same um, so where do your ideas come from how do you get those for your stories you know a lot of my stories um, it can be a lot of different things but a lot of my stories I like to write. Um, there's a certain nowness about a lot of my work, meaning there's a certain, it's, it's very current usually. Like I mentioned long shot when I wrote long shot, it was, I, I don't know if people remember there was this football player who had knocked out his girlfriend, then his girlfriend, now his wife in an elevator and dragged her out of the elevator. And when I saw that, and there was this, all of this, there was this cultural dialogue around domestic abuse. Um, and her story kind of got lost and people weren't sure how to feel about her. Her. And I immediately thought, which doesn't seem like it would be the normal response. I immediately thought I'm going to write a romance about, <laughs> you know, and not that the hero is the abuser, but just a woman's journey to liberating herself from a situation like that. And then finding joy, healing, and then finding joy, you know, so that was something that very current that inspired me. Um, I was, re- I was looking at the Dapple protest, um, you know, with the pipe, the pipeline protest in the Dakota and that inspired me to write The Kingmaker and The Rebel King, which um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is the only meat cute I've ever heard about that happens at a pipeline protest. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yep. So, I mean, and it, it deals with issues of climate change and it um, the heroine is Native American. She's Yavapai Apache and she is a water protector. Um, and so uh, lots of research, I did lots of research about, you know, young indigenous people who are on the 
forefront of activism in protecting native land and you know all of all of these things these are the kinds of things that interest me and so a lot of times um even with the with queen move which is my most recent release you know looking at the crown act and how there is um i mean this is just one thing that one aspect of the book but how there is discrimination based on natural hairstyles you know one of the gabrielle union just won um won a lawsuit <laughs> against um i i can't remember the it's um simon cowell's show um so think mm. you got talent i think yeah i think, I think so, yeah got, yeah that one so yeah. she had filed you know um a lawsuit and part of that lawsuit was based on their responses to how she wore her natural hair as a black woman and you see and so i integrated the crown act um which is legislation that is supposed to protect um people of color um who who wear their natural hair and the discrimination that many of us experience in the workplace because of hairstyle which seems ridiculous um but i i point these out as examples of i am interested in what's going on right now i'm interested in culture i'm interested in um the things that we're talking about or things that i think we should be talking about more um i'm interested in writing about strong women and i don't just mean like you know they're impenetrable but how the vulnerability of strong women you know um i've written a book about a, a woman who was a sports agent you know how women um who are aspirational thrive in male-dominated industries so i these are the kinds of things that interest me so when you ask where do my ideas come from they come from whatever's going on in culture they come from whatever i'm seeing on the news <laughs> you know i'm seeing on blogs i'm hearing people talk about those things that um capture my attention i usually like to integrate them into love stories and so um yeah those are for the most and sometimes it can just be you know something i see some you know it could be something else but what I've noticed is it could just be, oh, what if I wrote a story about? <laughs> but that's usually not the case. Usually something um, makes me curious. You know, something uh, drives me to start researching. And as I start researching, I'm like, wow, this Dapple protest thing is really cool. But what if we added kissing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what if they started loving each other? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> anything that's going on in the world, I'm always like, but what if they fell in love? <laughs> you oh, know, yep. so that's kind of how I everything becomes a romance for me <laughs> yeah well I think too it's it's one of those that we kind of look for that escapism as we're yeah. reading the romance mm -hmm. but it's also sometimes we find a favorite recipe because right. it also includes a recipe or there's a playlist or there's oh, a song always. music is like a huge part of my um creative process yeah. huge part of my creative process i don't even write i don't start writing until i usually have about 40 songs on a playlist um i have a musical background and so music music is so important to me so soul feeding for me um i'm i'm start the book that i'm going to put out in april I have 60 songs on that playlist and I have not written one word yet. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's part of my research, you know, music makes me feel a certain way. And often literally certain scenes grow out of just how a song is making me feel. So, yeah. So how do you search for those songs? Because I'm thinking, I, I know how it's happened in the, in the reverse where you've written a book and you're going, oh, that scene where that volcano and this and that, and then there's a song that matches it, the perfect. So how does it go in, in your direction where you haven't written anything yet? First of all, um, I, even when I haven't actually, my process, I have so many friends who are like, oh, I wrote 
2,500 words today. Yay. You know, I can just sit down and write a book. Why can't you just sit down and write a book? And that's really not my creative process. My, if, if you are hearing the kinds of things that I write about, they usually require my journalism background probably feeds this. I do a lot of interviews. I usually do like Zoom interviews. I record interviews. Then I go back and listen to the interviews, you know, people, especially if it's something that's outside of my lived experience. Um, and so I am listening to whatever it is, you know, I have my, just like you're doing now, you know, you, you have your questions prepared and you're, you know, you, the interview goes in different directions and I go back and listen to those. But usually um, the books that I write tend to record a good deal of research. And so I can't just sit down and <laughs> start writing because I don't usually know. I have to learn. There's usually a lot that I have to learn before I can start writing. So in that kind of learning period, I have an idea, of, of course, about where the story is going. I generally know what's going to happen. Honestly, the interviews and the research shape a lot of my plot. So I have a general idea of there's these two characters who I know they're going to end up together. What is the thing that's keeping them apart? What is kind of the context in which they fall in love? And um, there's usually for me, there's some, I don't want to say message because that sounds after school special, but there's usually some, some thing that's compelling me to write, something that I want people to talk more about or I want to shine more light on. I mentioned in um, The Kingmaker and The Rebel King, it's a duet. I mentioned that, you know, they're protect, talking about protecting native lands and he is a climate activist who is, you know, all about uh, creating sustainable energy industries. And then um, it also involves um, missing and indigenous, missing and murdered indigenous women. Like that's such a huge thing that's not getting enough coverage. As I started, I didn't even really know much about that, but as I started researching and interviewing native women, I interviewed probably about a good I don't know, 13 Native women, a few specifically from the Yavapai Apache tribe. Um, as I started interviewing them in, pre in preparation for writing these characters and writing this story, that was something that rose to the surface in every conversation was their concern for the issue of missing and murdered indigenous women. And that's because the, the rates are alarmingly high alarmingly high for native women um, here in the US, um, also in Canada. But so that was that was never going to be a part of the book. But as they started, as I started interviewing them, it was coming up in every conversation. And I realized this was something that was so present for this community, I needed to touch on it. All that to say, so when I'm in that phase of interviewing and research, that could literally be too to three months. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. Depending on the scope of the story, I could be not writing anything for two months. That's just conducting interviews and doing research. In that space of time, the story is taking shape in my head. So I generally know what's going on. I believe it or not, I'm not going out like, here's a song. Oh, I need to get this song. I need to get this song. This sounds really creepy. I know, but I feel like the songs find me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I already know that sounds ridiculous. No, no, no. I totally get that. That's why I was asking because I was curious. <laughs> I totally get I that. I do. I feel like the songs find me and I, I'm watching television. I don't listen to the radio very much, but I might have on the radio and I always have my, um, what is it? The, the app. It's not Zoom. It is Shazam. I always have my Shazam ready and I'm like what is this song because it makes me feel a certain way and the song doesn't even have to lyrically connect with the plot or anything it is sometimes it sometimes does 
but it's sometimes how it makes me feel. And I will know this is the song. Like there was a song I listened to the other day. It came on. It had nothing to do with what I was writing. But when I listened to it, I could see the first time these characters make love. Like I could see it in my head as I was listening to that song. So I add the song to the playlist and I know it doesn't have any lyrical connection, but it is the feel of it. You know, it's like, it's like the heartbeat. These songs kind of start to be the soundtrack for me as I'm writing, even if it doesn't make sense to anyone else. And so I, there's one book that I'm working on now but I've been working on this book for five years, you know, meaning not actively working on the book. I've had the idea for five years. And so as soon as I have the idea, I create the playlist. And so I'm literally just <laughs> over the course of all these years, collecting songs as I go. And so I haven't, this is a different book than the one I was talking about before. I have 80 songs on that list. I have written maybe 50 pages now, but those, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. that, it becomes entrenched. It's not this thing where it's like, oh, I'm on deadline, so I need to create a playlist. It's, oh, I know this is a story that I'm going to tell at some point in my life. And so I'm going to create a playlist. And every time a song I hear somewhere comes on or I encounter it, I'm going to add it to this playlist. And it just starts building, um, if that makes sense. So it's not like, hey, I need to have a Cardi B song. Oh, I need to add a Taylor <laughs> Swift song. Oh, you know, it's not like that. It's like the so we kind of find the songs and I kind of find each other mm -hmm. um, through the process. You know, it's not um, as deliberate as that, but it's really, really vital for me. It mm -hmm. sounds real. Woo -doo -doo -doo. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I think that sometimes we try to put everything in specific rows in right. specific boxes to fit what we think needs to happen, whether it's the plot yeah. or our schedules and things like that. And so when we can find that liberty and just be in the moment, and that's when something happens, whether the song that's playing in the grocery store right. or, you know, you're, you're going through your Twitter feed and someone's saying, I love this song. And you go, Oh, oh absolutely. You know? Yeah. Let so, me listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. or like me, sometimes I'm on YouTube and I'm going, what's that? Um, <laughs> right. Right. And sometimes people will know, I, I, it depends on what I'm writing. Sometimes I'm really, really close to the chest with what I'm writing. Like the book that I'm writing now, I really haven't told people very much about it. It's on Goodreads, but it's like, it's literally like, Hey, I'm writing this book. It's coming out in April. Add it if yeah. you want. <laughs> you know, I don't have any detail. And sometimes I have like all this detail. And so sometimes, um, people in my reader group, like my readers will say, Oh, I heard you're writing this kind of book. I heard this. And they know, you know, those who follow me closely know what a huge part music is in my process. And they know that I create so because once the book publishes, I include the playlist with the book. And so they know, you know, people, readers tell me all the time, Oh my gosh, I'm cleaning up and I'm listening to your playlist or I'm at work and I'm listening to the grip playlist or I'm listening to the long shot playlist or whatever. Um, so my readers know how vital music is to me. And sometimes they'll message me and say, Oh my gosh, I just heard this song. And I know that you're writing this book Would this song be good for you. <laughs> and sometimes they are, you know, sometimes yep. I'm like, wow, I hadn't heard that. I'm adding that to the playlist and they feel so great because they're like oh that's mine <laughs> you know when they get the playlist they're like i told her about that one <laughs> yes so. oh yeah no we, we love it as listeners and fans we uh, love it when we can help or yes. suggest yes. something and it's just those little things that make us so happy 
like when you guys retweet us or we you like a post on social media yeah. you're like oh my god oh. kennedy liked it and i you know it's so amazing because i have um i'm very very active in my reader group like in yes. on facebook and my reader group i'm, I'm like i'm probably get on their nerves because i'm posting it like three times a day and i'm really really active in there and they occasionally somebody in the like they'll say something and i respond and they're like oh my gosh i can't believe you replied and i'm like really <laughs> you're in my group we're talking <laughs> we're having a great time of course i'm gonna reply um, um, but it's uh, it, it's uh, that reader group. My reader group is like such a safe space for me because those are readers. I mean, it's a lot of readers. And, you know, when you have these larger groups, you don't know everybody, obviously, because it's like 8,000 people or whatever. And there's some who come to the surface all the time. And it's like, yes. a, you know, a small group of people who you see all the time. But um, I will, when I'm writing outside of like my lived experience and I'm like, hey, anybody in here? I mean, literally something like, hey, I need to interview some people who have had lupus message me if you've had lupus you know in my reader group and I, so many I, I can't even respond to all of the messages I get and those become people I interview you know as I'm preparing for the book <laughs> and it's really 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 cool to see and some of those become beta readers my beta readers change with each book depending on I have a core group of alpha readers who read everything I write but Every, but the beta readers are kind of interchangeable based on what the book is. You know, when I was writing about domestic abuse, I was focused on beta readers who had experienced that survivors when i was writing um about uh you know this this woman who was native american who had a very specific experience i wanted those beta readers who would be able to inform that experience and check me for accuracy um which is really really important because i'm a black woman writing a native american woman if you're writing beyond your own experience but you know beyond the ethnic group that you know that you're that you are a part of you need to make sure that you're being accurate and you're being responsible with representation um, yes. for that group you know so that's all and I do that you know often so that's really really important to me I think it is also for the for the listeners and the readers yeah you know there's many times where whether it's a description of a city or mm -hmm. um, you know mispronunciation if it's an audiobook right. of a name right and people get perturbed yes. um, about that <laughs> well, and it pulls but you can you only imagine story. you know yeah. if it was more on the back like this is my culture this is my background right. this is who i grew up around you know yes don't so and you know and i've seen a lot I have been on that end of something, you know, as like I mentioned, I'm a black woman and I've seen books, people who weren't black to use my specific situation, who completely misrepresented something or did or said something in a way that was insulting or stereotypical. Mm -hmm. And when you ask them about it, they are dismissive. Oh. You know, like you're overreacting. Oh, and so for me, I, because I've been on that other end of it as someone from a marginalized group who sees my group misrepresented, stereotyped, pigeonholed, you know, what insulted, um, demeaned, even if it was inadvertent, it was involuntary, it was out of ignorance. And then to be dismissed, like you're overreacting. That's for me why I'm so careful, especially when I'm writing beyond my own ethnic experience, that I am making sure that I'm consulting people who do have lived that experience and, you know, can check me and make sure that it's accurate. Um, you know, some people call them beta readers or um, sensitivity readers. I've heard accuracy readers, which I like a lot. I like accuracy. I like readers. that. 
because it's like, if you're going to represent an experience that you haven't lived, you better be accurate. You better be responsible. You should be respectful. So, well, if you're going to do the research on how, uh, how do you, you know, the different dices, because you happen to be writing a chef and you, you know, mise en place and this and that. And if it's a smaller red dice, it should be the same amount of level, if not more, obviously, when it comes down to, you know, heritage and culture and race and all that stuff, because it's important. And, and I know that I have to come across some of those things too, because from a Latina perspective, mm-hmm. every time someone talks about a, a character that's you know from South or Central America, they're automatically Mexican, for <laughs> yeah. example. Yeah, you know, yeah. and they have a thick Mexican accent and andale, and <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> not all of us are Mexican, right? You know, or the opposite that they're first generation American, or you know, they've been here for since they were two. Right. They have to have an accent. Then I go, um, born and raised here. I don't have an accent. Right. So not everybody, <laughs> right. you know, so it's like, I know that you can't make everybody happy, but I, I don't like that kind of stereotype right. of, of these different cultures. And we're such a melting pot. Right. In a different, many different things from the languages to the culture, to the heritage. And so that's definitely one of the things that has stood out for me regarding your books mm-hmm. is that level of research, but also the conversations that come of it because your books are about romance, but right. you're also dealing with several different layers right. that's, you know, culture, difficult topics, um, mm-hmm. grip, the group series, you know, racism and inter- and interracial relationships. Yeah. You said long shot with the domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Why is this? It seems like it's really important to you, but specifically is there like, why? <laughs> right. Um, it's so funny because <laughs> people ask me that all the time. They're like, why? Why do you, do you have to? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I kind of do have to in the sense that um, I write what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And yep. I, I, I'm not, I love there. I love reading books that are just, you know, it's just kisses and it's hot and it's whatever. And there's a little tension or whatever. I love that. Of course I do. But for me, when I'm writing, I need more than that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know how else to say it, except that for me as a writer, that's not enough. I need more. I need to be talking about something real, you know, something that, and I I used to question it. Like, why does everything have to be such a big deal, Kennedy? Like, why can't you just sit down and write the swoon and write the sex and write, just get on with it. And, you know, I took, um, I took a course called Write Better Faster, which is by um, Becca, Becca Syme. And she also, there's an aspect of that course that's Strengths Finder. And it basically talks about all your different strengths and mm-hmm. how those strengths play into how you are as a writer. And so, you know, you go through the course and then you have this one-on-one with her where she walks through the different ones. And she said, you know, you have something unusual in your strengths pattern that I don't actually see in a lot of writers. And of course, I'm curious immediately what is that and she was like belief belief is really really high for you and she said basically what that means is you have to feel compelled you have to believe in what you're writing and she said you and she was like on some this is interesting on some level every time you sit down to write a book you want to change the world and it's so true (laughs) you know (laughs) it, it, it may not be like i'm gonna literally change the world with this book but i want there to be a shift in perspective 
something moves. You know, when you read this book, something inside of you moves. It, it could just be moves further in the same direction you were already feeling. It could be moves you in a completely different direction. It could be that it, you know, opened up a whole new perspective that you never considered. It could be polishing your lens so that you're seeing things more clearly, but something moves, you know, and that's what it is. Is She's like, every time you sit down to write a book, you want something to change. And that comes from one of my highest strengths, which is belief. And so I've stopped fighting that. You know, I've stopped trying to be like any, I don't compare myself. First of all, I don't compare my books to other people's books. I don't compare myself to other people as writers. I don't do that. I think one of my favorite quotes, I quote this all the time. Um, Ayala Bazant says that, um, comparison is an act of violence against the self. And oh, wow. for me, I embrace that wholeheartedly. I, you know, if we're talking about marketing and what's selling books and things like that, I'm looking all over the place. But if we're talking about the actual text, if we're talking about the actual story, I don't care what anybody else is writing. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't, I don't think, wow, you know, who's going to read this? That's not how I don't write to market, which it's fine if you do, but I don't, I don't think what's big right now. Stepbrothers are so hot right now. I'm going to write me a stepbrother. <laughs> like that's not how I approach story. Anybody who looks at my books should be able to tell that, but I funded that fundamentally is not how I reach story. Mm -hmm. Story for me comes from inside what I'm passionate about, what I'm curious about what to me needs light, what I would like to see more discussion about. And I see romance as a platform, you know, for that to happen. All of the, all the things that make me curious, that compel me, that I'm passionate about, that I feel like need more light, all of those things can happen in the context of an epic love story. And it's hot, you know, it's not yeah. like the love story is like, you know, it's fade closed door, faded black. No, I mean, they're like getting it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, also, you know, we're talking about, you know, things that are really, really real. I like real life in my romance. I like, and, um, you know, it's not that it's not escapism because of course there's sighing, there's swooning, there's fantasy, there's all of that. But at the core, there's going to be something very real. And that's just, a, that's just how I'm made, you know, as a writer. And I don't, I don't see myself changing, <laughs> you know? No, no, that's, that's, it, it's great. I think sometimes we those things with the trends or yeah. trying to make sure that we sell more books. Which is, to which like, is totally I'm fine. Totally, totally fine. I yeah. think writing is so personal. Yes. I think that you have to write around what is important to you and what drives you. It's so mm -hmm. personal. If you try to write based on somebody else's metric, you know, you are, you end up dissatisfied or not doing your best work. Um, so it's just really understanding that. Or you know, speaking your own truth. Right. Absolutely. Because I think that's the other thing, too. It's one of the reasons the romance, a lot of the listeners and readers love the genre, is that it mm -hmm. provides the ability to discover new things, whether it's, right. you know, I didn't know that I might be into kink. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> or I want to go horseback riding, and now I do. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and research that one, right. um, you know, horseback riding or wanting to see if that red door is in Paris based on that right. one book, the way that it was. Right. But, but you're also providing that you can heal. You can get out of a difficult situation and you can move forward and have a, a fantastic life and right. you can heal. And I think that's yes. also too, where we, 
resonates from a woman's perspective that we are strong, mm-hmm. we are we are smart, we can do yes. this, we can leave the asshole. And right. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, there's definitely strong feminist, um, you know, strains in everything I write. Mm-hmm. everything I write, but not like, I think sometimes even with feminism, we try to box women in yes. to what a feminist is even, you know, mm-hmm. like you have to be this thing. You have to do this. You're not a stay at home mom. You're not this. Like, I don't, I, I really want to, in my work, explode all of that because feminism is basically about choice, like your choice, being able to choose what your path and if your path is a stay-at-home mom, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. who raises your children and does amazing things, that's amazing. You, yep. You're still a feminist, you know, go for it. I hate it when, and really it's culture that tries to put us into these little boxes and these little pigeonholes yes. and try to, to squeeze us into their idea of who we should be. And that's one thing that's really important to me in my work is exploding those notions of culture informing womanhood. You know, culture telling us who we are as women and who we are as feminist or as womanist, um, but that we are self, we can be self-defining and we can thrive based on what's important to us and what that journey looks like, what that journey of figuring out what's most important to you as a woman looks like, you know? No, yes. Thank you for that. I think that even if we don't have someone giving us that pep talk, when we pick up these books, we're going, yes, right. Yes. That's. And that's, you know, that's the great thing about romance is sometimes I feel like romance, I know romance gets such, it gets the shaft, man, oh. you know, where, you know, people deride it, but it is the genre that centers women. It is the mm-hmm. genre that centers our pleasure, that centers our agency, that centers our choice, that is these, for the most part, are we are telling our own stories. It's not a man interpreting us. It's us interpreting ourselves. We're translating our own desires and we are at the very very center and we are at the end happy, you know? So uh, there's it, to me, it's the most empowering genre there is. Um, so for it to be derided so often in mainstream culture is yeah. disheartening, but not unexpected because we, we are in the patriarchy, yes. you know, we are in oh, the goodness. patriarchy, yes. you know? So it's like <laughs> anything that shows women being powerful and self-determining and sexual and comfortable with their sexuality, somehow the patriarchy is going to say that thing is bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that thing isn't as good as all these other things. Yeah. And demean it and try to make us feel bad about reading right. it and that we're not smart enough to, you know, read other things and right. so read this. And I'm going, you have no idea the things you I have learned. No idea. <laughs> yeah. Because all the reading is also about enjoying something, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think our stories are so, so I mean, the, there's so many incredible writers in this genre who people could easily dismiss their gift because they're writing romance. And I'm like, you obviously haven't read a Sierra Simone <laughs> because mm-hmm. if you've read Sierra Simone, you would know her brain is like a national treasure. So, yeah. you know, you, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like, yeah wow, you obviously haven't read someone like that or you would not be able to turn up your nose. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or even just the emotion sometimes the stories evoke. Right. You know, right. whether it's the being accepted for who you are and being Absolutely. that, you know, kooky girl that everybody thinks cute and no one loves. Um, yeah. Or that the, the woman that wants to open up the bakery because that's her passion. And yes. everybody says, no, it's, it's, it's again, the empowerment. And the ability to showcase that we can do whatever the fuck we want. 
Right. You know? And I mean, it's such a, it's such a broad palette. Like when you're describing those women that we, in all of these romances, somebody is seeing themselves. You know what I mean? It's like somebody is seeing themselves no matter what the subgenre or what the storyline, like they're, that's so, it's reflecting someone's reality in the context of a love story with a happily ever after, which is, you know, in, its, in and of itself, amazing. Yes, it's always like that little nice bow at the end. And like, mm-hmm. yes, it's possible. Um, what is it about the contemporary genre the, of romance that you love so much because all your books are in this contemporary world they are i think it goes back in a i think it goes back in a way to what we were talking about earlier you know where there's a certain urgency to what i'm in, interested in you know it's something that is happening right now it's something that i am either really passionate about sometimes indignant about <laughs> you know sometimes <laughs> just really joyful about you know but it's usually something that's happening right now mm-hmm. um i say that but the book that i'm working on next has a historical component um which i'm really really excited about because i've and i'm not writing a historical as soon as i start talking about these books so many my, so many of my friends message me are you writing, writing. a historical and i'm like no that's how rumors get started and somebody messaged me oh my gosh kennedy you're writing an historical i'm not but um there is an historical component to what i'm working on now that harkens back to um, the Harlem Renaissance into the jazz age into, you know, the tw- roaring twenties, the early thirties. And so that's really, really exciting for me though, very intimidating, but exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's like we were talking about before those things that are happening right now. There's just this modernity to it. There's this urgency to it. There's this right nowness to it that I am very interested in. And it's so funny because my favorite Subgenre is actually historical romance. That's what that's my favorite subgenre is historical romance. But I I'm so intimidated <laughs> by <laughs> historical. You know, I just bow to the people who write it. And I have my favorite his, my favorite authors are for the most part historical romance authors. So. Well, that's like a, that was going to be part of my next question about if there's a subgenre of romance that you haven't written yet but would like to historical or is there um, something else well I don't know that I as much as I love historical I don't feel super compelled to write it Um, the thing that I think I will probably venture more into is women's fiction Um, I think there's so many strong elements already there's so many elements that are really, really strong in my work already that are women's fiction. I kind of straddle that line anyway. Um, That is so funny because a lot of my, I'll look, I don't read a lot of reviews because it's just sometimes not great for you. Yeah. (laughs) Your (laughs) self-esteem. So I don't read a lot of reviews, but I've come across a few where people have said things like, you know, you know, the thing I, I remember this one pretty vividly. The thing that I don't like about Kennedy Ryan is that she writes women's fiction guises it as romance. And I was like, you know what? That's a valid thing. (laughs) Like what you're saying, ma'am, is actually pretty valid. Not that that's what I'm consciously doing, but I know what she means. If you're used to reading romance that doesn't dig into some of these more difficult topics, that doesn't maybe focus on a difficult story arc for a woman from, you know, kind of adversity to absolute joy and happily ever after, it can feel like, wow, this is women's fiction. I understand that. Um, I think that, 
I think that actually there's a real blurring going on between um, what we're seeing right now in publishing is kind of a blurring of the lines between romance and women's fiction. If you look at a huge book this year, which is actually one of my top favorites of 2020, Beach Read, you know, um, I think that that's an excellent example of a book that has such really strong elements of women's fic, but is also a romance. <laughs> you know, it has obviously a romance um, storyline and has, you know, a, uh, you know, two characters who fall in love and there's a happily ever after. So I think those lines get blurred, but that's what I've always said is that it would probably be women's fiction. Even if it's women's fiction though, love is in everything I write. Like I can't, I'm, I really am not interested in writing a story that doesn't have love in it. So it would still have a love story. Um, but yeah, that's probably what I what I probably will do more of is books that look like that. Yeah, when we're talking about um, historical, and you went as far as back to the 1920s, because usually we think historical, and we're thinking Victorian. Um, right. And then um, Karen White, who is, is writing as Karen Gray, did a book in the 80s, and that's technically considered historical. Right. And I'm going, in the 80s? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's far enough back that it's a completely different era now. I it's know. like, it's like, oh, it's damn. Archival. Because <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when you think about it, the 80s at this point was, okay, we're in the, that was 40 years ago. Yeah, it's about 40 years That's ago. Hard to believe, man. Yes, it does. Uh, <laughs> gosh. Oh, man, getting old. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Something I wanted to talk about that was really cool that happened recently to you was uh, the Bookworm box subscription set. Right. So you were included and are now officially a pinmate. I and, am a pinmate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the the Kingmaker got an exclusive new cover. Yes. So can you tell us a little about that? Like, how do you feel about being a pinmate? And, and how, <laughs> how's that whole process? Like, how did you get selected? You like, know, you know? <laughs> So it was, I've been in book where I've been in the, yes. first of all, I love Colleen and I love um, bookworm box. Like I, I love them because everything goes to charities that, you know, to causes um, this year. I think this one is, I'm going to get the name wrong, but it's basically around adoption. This particular box is around supporting an, an organization that um, advocates and with adoption and I'm, I'm just going blank right now with the exact name but I know it's around adoption advocacy I love stuff like that anyway I have um, Ginger Scott and I also do we have an organization called well it's an initiative called lift for autism that raises money for families who have children with autism every April which is autism awareness month so anything that's like around good causes like those things compel me and so I love being involved first of all in any way that I can um, they reached out to me and it's so funny that you mentioned the pin mate because this is going to seem so strange but I've had so many people message me and say oh my gosh I finally have a black pin mate <laughs> it's so it's so funny and they're like a black pin mate and I just think that's the coolest thing you know yeah. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm the first black Barbie or something <laughs> um, but um so they I had been in the bookworm box before for, um, but they weren't doing pinmates. Right. <laughs> so now they're doing pinmates. And um, it's so funny because when we first, they first did the doll and um, Amy who works with the bookworm uh, box was like, okay, we're going to redo your doll because there's something, I don't even know what it was, but she was like, we're going to redo the doll. And I was like, okay. And um, 
we worked, I worked with Murphy, um, who does all of their covers, it's Colleen's sister, um, on the cover. And I knew I wanted something, the original covers are black and gold. And I knew that I wanted something that kind of hark echoed the original cover, but it was so distinctly its own. And the thing about some of my books, like when you look at a series like the Hoop series that I have, that I have, it's all guys on the covers, like great looking guys, like long shot, block shot, hook shot. It's yeah. a man on the cover, <laughs> gorgeous man on each cover. And that's really around marketing, you know, uh -huh. selling books in, in indie romance, like looking at what sells. But the story itself doesn't really you know, I don't really write from that place, but I definitely market from the place of figuring out what's going to sell. But I kind of have to take off my writer hat where I'm going to write absolutely what I want and then put on my marketing hat and say, okay, now how am I going to sell it? And, but those stories are all women, you know, the, there are these like strong women um, at the center of each story. And so I really see when I do these alter alternate covers, because I did another one for, I, we did an alternate cover of Long Shot for Hello Lovely, the Hello Lovely box. And I put a woman on that cover because I just love, I love seeing women on covers. And um, from a marketing perspective, it's for certain stories at different times, you do what maybe feels like it's going to sell the best. Um, but I, I wanted to see women on, you know, some of these alternative covers. And so I also, I don't know, I just wanted something distinctive for anybody who hasn't seen it. It's like this black matte cover. And then it has, I don't even know how to describe the art that's on it, but it's um, in gold and it's more kind of impressionistic. It's, it's a little um, abstract. That's the word I'm looking for. It's a little more abstract. Um, so very I, elegant. It is very elegant. I loved it. And you know, it's so, God bless Murphy, because I am notoriously fastidious about covers. Like everybody who works with me, every time it's time for us to do a new cover, everybody just groans and <laughs> because they know I'm going to be so anal about it. No, I mean, really, like for the Kingmaker, the original Kingmaker cover, I had, I did two photo shoots for that. Like I, we did the first one and I was like, no, it's not right. We need to do brand new models, brand new set, brand new everything. We did that. Then I was like, I think I kind of like the first one better. <laughs> but like, you would not have known that if you didn't do the second right, one. Exactly. You see, you understand me. I totally um, get it. You have yeah. to compare it to something. <laughs> I do recognize I'm difficult when it comes to covers. I'm very, very picky. And so God bless Murphy because she and I just, we, we went back and forth and we were looking for, you know, the right images and she would do exactly. I mean, I'm the kind of person who I'm like, okay, no, do this, 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 and use this font and this is going to do it. And then you'll do it. And I'm like, mm, it's still not working. <laughs> you did exactly, <laughs> exactly. You did exactly what yep. I told you to. And it looks nothing like I thought it would. So we went back and forth like that a lot until, we found this and it as soon as I saw it I was like this is it um you know and I just I love it I really really mm -hmm. do love it and I love them like, like I love their work I love I I'm so hating that because of COVID damn COVID you know <laughs> that we can't have um book bonanza this year because yeah. it's like my favorite event every year it feels like I don't know if you've ever been but it feels like a family reunion it really does like a book lovers family reunion yeah, it's always been on my list oh, oh, yeah. for the first time. Yeah. Cause I've done, you know, originally at the RT book lovers convention. Oh some yeah. Other, yeah. But, you know, a this one is, 
it's we they've only had it two years and it was it's in texas and it's colleen hoover's and it's huge i mean it's huge but it just feels i mean it just feels like a big old family reunion and um and colleen is just i can't even articulate how much i admire her you know as a as a woman and as an artist in this community and as um a philanthropist you know she's like <laughs> she's wonder woman i love her mm -hmm. Well, it's also great when we can get women helping women and help right. rise the tide and all Absolutely. Boats, you know, mm -hmm. and, and get rid of the competition and uh, that comparison, yeah. which I love that quote, by the way. Oh, yeah. It's, I, borrow I, it. I, <laughs> I cling to it. It's yeah. That one's a Yana Benzai. And she says, um, comparison is an act of violence against the self. Yeah. And I cling to that. I don't. My competition, I there are three people in this race <laughs> who I was yesterday, who I am today, and who I'm gonna be. Like that's the competition. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not looking at anybody else. God bless whatever whatever anybody else is doing, but I'm not you're not my competition. Mm -hmm. You know, and for me, that's why it's so easy for me to share covers, covers and you know, put you know, put new releases in my newsletters and shout about other people's books and scream when I love because competition seeing other people as competition i mean obviously we are all trying to succeed but seeing other women as competition creates this artificial scarcity like there's not enough to go around which is ridiculous because romance readers are so voracious so many of them are reading four five six books a week i can't keep them supplied no yeah <laughs> <You know? laughs> so there's more than enough to go around so we should act like that by lifting each other up yes and by you know supporting each other and helping each other not acting like if i too many people i think something about the way culture or something shapes us makes us think that for us to succeed someone else has to have less and that's a that's a lie you know and when we buy into that that's what creates that sense of competition and artificial scarcity and it's eroding and it's corrosive for goodwill in our community so i don't buy into that yeah well that's great because i think sometimes too as women we are told that we always have to be better right and we have to you know be be seen in a different way because there's so many of us and right. and also we're competing against men and other things and it's like the girls just chill like come here right. I'll, i will straighten your crown before you go out there in public <laughs> absolutely you know? and the more you do that like for some people at first depending on our own insecurities or our own backgrounds or whatever at first that feels so you know so counter you know to to counterintuitive to like uplift other people it feels counterintuitive but the more you do it the more it's like a muscle the more you begin to work that of like really lifting other people up encouraging other people investing in other people being kind to other people it actually becomes something that you enjoy and look for ways to do um and it becomes second nature that's definitely part of me i'm always constantly trying to help or if I discover a new narrator and um, right. you know they're just starting off and like right your website um <laughs> right and you know it's so funny you say that because um for for this book that I have coming out Queen Move um Ebony Flowers is the narrator and I I'm pretty sure this is her first book. it is like, at least from what I've read and from using that name because I'm going to uh, I always try to assume that the names are like pseudonyms too just in case so at least right. from that name it is her first 
Right. Yeah. I'm and so excited I, didn't, for her. I didn't realize that. Yeah. They sent me like different people to listen to. And as soon as I heard her, I was like, who's that chick? You know, because I didn't, I had never seen her name like around in the community. Nope. And then um, as I started really digging, I saw that she's been on Broadway and that she's, you know, her, she's been an actress and she is an actress and she's a singer and she's all these amazing things. And I didn't even realize that. So I'm really, really excited for this book to be kind of her introduction to the romance community, because I think they're going to just fall in love with her. Yeah. Well, talk about a, um, an introduction to the audiobook world. Do you have a, she's narrating a Kennedy Ryan book and her co-narrator is <laughs> Jacoby Diem. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I love, see, Jacoby and I, we're like partners in, partners in crime because yes. he's done all of my grip books. He did, um, he did my, did hookshot for me. So this is his fifth book that he's narrating for me, um, Queen Move. And I'm so excited because I, I was literally, I listened to other books because of Jacoby. You know, mm -hmm. I just finished, there's a new historical, it's not new, it's new to audio. It was, it just a came black, to audio. Right? Black, yes. yes. Um, written by Joan Vassar. And I told, I said, I'm just going to scream about this everywhere because I, first of all, we already established that historical romance is my favorite subgenre. And there's a real, um, you you know, lack of, we, we have more of them now, but there's a real lack of, or has been a lack of diversity in historical romance traditionally. And we have Beverly Jenkins and now we have, um, um, just different authors, Vanessa. Oh gosh, I can't believe I just went completely blank on Vanessa's last name. That's bad. That's more, that's just because my brain is shut down. Um, <laughs> but we just had, and now Adriana Herrera is starting to write historical, but, um, it's, we haven't had that very much. And I love, love, love seeing, um, I'm literally Googling because I don't want to mess up <laughs> Vanessa's, yeah. um, uh, Oh, yes. Okay. Vanessa Riley. I don't know why. I, I mean, Vanessa and I are friends. I just completely went blank. But her it last happens one all is, the time. Yes, I know. <laughs> but it's a Duke, the lady and a baby. So that one, that's one of my faves for this year. So I wanted to make sure I got that right. Um, so we've had Vanessa Riley. We have Piper Hughley. You know, we have a few um, uh, women of color who are writing in historical romance, but it's not as many, you know. And so when I came across Joan Vassar, hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. Um, and I saw the Jacoby and it's this she has it's a four book series uh um, yeah she's writing the fifth book right now right and the right. second and book's coming out in yeah yeah december 5th december um, yes December. yeah december 5th is when um book two which i think is elbert's book um yes. is coming out on audio and of course jacoby's narrating all of them so i mean i'm a jacoby Fan, you know, and he's <laughs> such an amazing guy. I just did a box set for my grip series and I did like some bonus stuff and he did bonus audio for me. And I'm getting messages literally like every day from readers who are like, Oh my gosh, Jacoby, reading those vows, you know? So, um, I, I shout hard, I stand for Jacoby hard. So, um, he and Ebony doing this together is just I can't wait for people to hear it. Queen Move is just, you know, it's special to me. And I'm really, really glad that Ebony is going to get, you know, some light. You know, when I say some light, not like I'm all that, but just like that the romance community gets to meet her paired with someone as amazing as Jacoby. And I hope telling a great story. So, yes.
Yeah, we definitely love on the ladies. And when they're with one of the narrators that we love as, you know, the male narrator, we're going, oh, girl, you so lucky. Not really. <laughs> Sometimes they're not even in the same right, room, but right. okay. You know, uh, but it's just that whole thing, like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. You know? But yeah, I mean, Jacoby's fantastic. Yeah. I had the opportunity to interview him earlier in the year around um, late May, early June for the audiobook Club and series. And oh my God, that he was so excited about Black. That's how I learned about it. Was he's like, I can't tell you the name right now. Really? And, and, yes, but he's like, I'll email it to you later. <laughs> but I'm really excited I about this series. And it. he was already, you know, like sharing the love for the story. And then when it was starting to get announced and stuff, and he's like, remember that story? I'm like, yeah. And I go, oh, here it is. I'm like, ooh, you know, like, give me snippets so I can share it in your group. And he's yes. angry about it. Yeah, he is such. Yes, yes. And, you know, he loves what he yeah. does and he loves the authors and stuff like that, which is great to see too. You know, yes. that working together, right. the authors and the narrators to bring this out for the listeners and we can see it for both sides. Because, I mean, we're like narrator motivated now, at least some people. Right. And, and that is important. Yes, I I I am a huge Jacoby fan, and mm -hmm. he was definitely like at the top of my list for move. So mm -hmm. I'm just so glad that he was able to do it. Yeah, I was like, when are you announcing it? Because you already told me I need to share it with people. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, oh, yes. what are you sharing so I can share and say oh my god right go, hey, right yeah. yeah I can't wait for people to hear it I, I can't wait mm -hmm. well according to audible and I say it that way because who knows nowadays with audible as far as their what it's showing or not it's saying that you currently like you have 13 titles in audio that sounds, sounds right, right. <laughs> I think so. I sounds double checked right. but what made you decide to have your titles be in audio format oh I mean when I Audio is obviously exploding. It's the fastest growing sector of publishing. And so that was kind of a, when I first started, first of all, I started out and we didn't really talk about this and I don't know that it really matters, but I started out in traditional publishing. So I am, I've kind of built my career as a self-published author, but my first four books were traditionally published through like one of the big five, one of the um, big five New York publishers and they have never done audio for those books and i'm always like why don't you do audio <laughs> for those books? give them to me i'll do audio but so i didn't have any control over that you know i saw i started loving audio and i just bemoaned the fact that they didn't have that my books didn't have audio and i had no control over that and then when i started self-publishing um, I definitely wanted to put my books in audio. So the first books I self-published were the Soul series, and I put those in audio pretty quickly. Like I didn't know, I didn't know very much. I did it through I think AC, and you know it was like I I didn't know anything really to try to like make it a simultaneous release or anything like that. <laughs> wanted to get it in a format where my thing is always finding these pockets of readers that I could be overlooking. And I know that there is a, a, a group of readers who basically only listen. And I have become that reader, you know, I will real I will want a book to read a book so badly. And if it's not on audio yet, I just note when it's going to come out on audio and I don't read it until it's available in audio. I am that person now, Me too. you know, Welcome and to so, the club. <laughs> right. And so, so many times 
my friends, my author friends will be like, oh, could you read, you know, could you read an art for me? And I'm like, do you have it in audio? <laughs> and they're like, it's an art. It's, it's an art. <laughs> and I'm like, so are you saying no? <laughs> Is that a no? <laughs> and then it takes me forever to read it because uh-huh. I'm just, I'm so in the mode now of audio as opposed to even ebook or paperback. So, um, so it, it, it was important to me from the beginning to do audio and to make sure that I had it for those readers who that's really the way they consume um, romance. I wanted to make sure I had that as an option. It is as I've grown and as I have understood the importance and the significance and the growth of um, audio, it is now like a part of my plan. Meaning if I have a book coming out in April, which I do, I know I need to be finished this book a few, at least a few months before, because I want the audio to come out with the paperback, with the ebook. Like that is, for me, audio is just as much a consideration as any other aspect now. And when I'm, even when I'm writing, I find myself thinking about how it's going to translate to audio. I don't need that he said, I don't need that she said, I don't need, you know, I, I start thinking, I'm thinking now about how um, prose, because I, because how my prose is going to translate to ears, you know, and there's a certain, because like I said, I started out on poetry, there's a certain cadence to a lot of what I write anyway. Like I think in a lot of ways, I think am, <laughs> I ambically. So when I'm writing, I'm like, I hear the meter of what I'm writing, even though it's not poetry. And I, I, I tune my ear to that kind of thing, even when I'm listening in audio. So I don't know. I just find myself adapting even as I'm writing to make sure that it's going to translate well for listeners. Um, so audio has become really, really important to me. And I've started doing my own audio. Like, in the, I mean, I have, I have a great relationship with, um, with uh, audio publishers. Like I've worked with Tantor, Queen Movies Through Blackstone, um, because Queen Movies Through a small press, it wasn't self-published. But but the Kingmaker, the Rebel King, those are things that I did myself. I love creative control. I love promotional control. I love control. I got that <laughs> you know? about you. Yes, um. I, I <laughs> like control. And so yeah. doing my own audio was kind of another step in that progression. And I, I love it. I love being able to choose my own narrators and all of that. So. Mm-hmm. Well, casting, it's extremely important. Mm, very, and, very, you know, very it can important. either make or break the book. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I totally understand the need for the controlling reference to that. Right. Well, and now you, as you become, because at first I wasn't an audio person and now I understand the wrong narrator can ruin a wonderful book, you know, because I'm like, I love, I really think the story is great, but something about the narrator, I can't really get into this audio book. And then the story itself, because that's how I consume my books, it becomes less accessible because the narrator isn't right for it. And so, um, from, and obviously we both know that there are, there's a segment of readership listenership that follows the narrator even more than the author themselves. Yes. In some cases, like they're like, who the heck is Kennedy Ryan? I don't know, but I know Jacoby, (laughs) you know, anything Jacoby does, I want to hear, Oh, it's by who Kennedy who? Okay. You know? And so it's really important to make sure that um, you're choosing the right narrator and the right voice. And then also somebody who you hope someone who 
um, as much as you can, has a presence in the community, has a connection to the audio community, because the audio community is a community within the romance reading community. Yes. And, um, and I love that. I love <laughs> that. Yeah. Well, especially on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I get so many audio, inter I get so many interactions with audio, with audio files on Twitter. Like that's where I see so much of my interaction with audio people. Yeah, I think a lot of it, it has to do like that we're, we're a lot on Twitter and mm -hmm. I think it's because it goes so fast and we're also limited on how much we can rave about you all. Right. Based on character. <laughs> um, so we're constantly, but it goes when it's, it's a real quick note here and there. And also sharing information is really easy. You know, yeah. Jacoby will post something. I can just grab it and retweet it. And retweet say, it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or when you've done something, you're like, you're going to want to get that. And right. things like that. It's really interesting. But, you know, overall, the community as a whole, as a listener, there are narrator motivated. And if today they were to find out that, for an example, since I'll mention Jacoby again, I'm sure his ears are burning. <laughs> they um, should be. Yes. Uh, <laughs> if he was, uh, if we were told that he's reading the Encyclopedia Britannica, yes, you know, and the like, letter B, I'm there. Go <laughs> buy the entire set, right. you know, just to be able to get to the B because that man narrated it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely agreed. So, yeah, but it's, so that's where it's important, and I and I see that sometimes you guys as authors don't have that control of casting. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and that's one thing. Um, that's one. I mean, I have been fortunate to work with uh, publishers who communicate and say these are choices, these are options. Who do you like? That kind of thing. Um, you know, so I've had a, I've been fortunate to have a lot of choice. Um, but I do, I, like I said, I'm a control freak. Like when we talk about the covers and how exacting I am about branding and just all of that, I'm the same way about everything. So narrators too, you know, it, it, I, but I, like I said, as an audiophile myself, I recognize how essential that is, how the voice can make or break um, a book. So mm -hmm. on audio. So yeah. do you find yourself that you like, do you cast a little bit in advance of the book? So you kind of have that you know, this is going to be, you know, Jacoby or Jason Clark, and this is the cadence that. Oh, know. definitely. I mean, with when I was writing um, the Grip series, I had Jacoby in mind um, for sure, and I I had never heard him before. Um, but then, as I started like looking at who was out there, well, and I am really particular about making sure that as I'm, if I'm, if the character is a black man, I want a black man to be narrating. If it's a, you know, even when I, for block shot, uh, it was like we were talking about for a first generation Mexican American woman, I wanted someone, but I, I wanted someone who was Latina, you know, to be um, narrating. Those things are important to me. And it's hard. It was harder when I was looking for, when I had a Native American hero, when that was harder because there aren't a lot of Native American narrators. But as much as I can, I try to have that, that reflection of identity um, between the narrator and the character as much as I can. And so um, Jacoby, as I started listening, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy for grip for sure. And then when I, I mean, it was a no brainer when I was writing um, Hookshot, I knew even as I was writing the character of Keenan, I could hear um, Jacoby as that character, you know, as I was writing it. Um, when I wrote The Kingmaker, I had started listening to, um, oh gosh, I, I hate that I'm going blank like this. Um, Jason. Um, Jason Clark? 
Yes, Jason Clark. That's my narrator for that book. Yes. Um, and I <laughs> loved his voice and I was like, that's Maxim, you know? And so we got him and I actually, Joe Raylan, um, XC Sands, yes. um, uh, she narrated for me with Longshot. She narrated me for me with All the King's Men, so two books there. So I've worked with her a few times and she's amazing. So certain people, you, you, you know what they do when you start to kind of think, oh, this person might be great for that. I definitely want to work with Zachary Weber at some point because he's just, I adore him. Like I adore everything about him. So yeah, no, I want to read so talented. So, so talented. talented. So he, and I have, he and I have chatted um, about um, working together on more than one occasion and we're going to make it happen. For yes. Sure. Awesome. He is so, I, I adore him too. He is so sweet and, and smart and so talented. Oh my God. Sometimes I'm going, I always get surprised in a good way. Like he, yeah. you know, increases that level of like, I knew you're good, but damn, yes. now I know you're good. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's fantastic. He yeah. is fantastic. I look forward to that. Right. Yep. Do you listen to the audiobooks that you, that are yours? Like when it comes down to like the audio proofing or when they're completely done? Oh yeah. I listen to them myself. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure there are people who also I'll, I sometimes I'll send them into other people so that I get another set of ears, but I always listen to them myself. Yeah. And if I have any like, Ooh, why do we do this? Or can we change this? Or can we adjust this? Then I'll do that. So Kennedy, um, we're going to be doing a, sharing an exclusive audio teaser of the queen move yes. by Jacoby and Evie. Yes. So can you take a minute and kind of set it up for us? Yes. Um, so this book, it is, Childhood friends to lovers. Um, so uh, Ezra and Kimba are the hero and the heroine, and they literally meet in the bathtub as babies. Like their families live next door to each other or live across the street from each other. Um, both of their fathers are in law school and um, together. And the families just become really, really close. And so they are best friends from the time they are literally infants until they're like 13 years old. And something happens that separates, it's a, something happens between their families that separates their families, that splinters the friendship and the connection between their families. And um, I'm not gonna go into all of that, but um, so the that's not spoilerism because the blurb literally tells you, you know, some it hints at that. So the prologue, which is what we, you know, you know, I, I'm not sure how much of it we're going to play, but um, the prologue is when they are adults. So they're in their 30s. I like to write mature characters. They're in their late 30s and they haven't seen each other literally in like 20 years. And so um, it's at her father's funeral and she hasn't seen Ezra since, you know, they were in, they were about to go to high school and he shows up at her father's funeral and it's their first time seeing each other in a really long time. And that's all I'm going to say, <laughs> uh, but um, it's very complicated uh, because of course they both have built these entire lives for themselves for people who may have read the Kingmaker and the rebel King, the all the Kings men duet. Kimba is actually um, the best friend of the heroine Lennox from that from the from that duet and they are like if anybody loves or has watched Scandal mm -hmm. you know kind of like she's like an Olivia Pope type character oh, they're like yes. they're like white hat gladiators they um 
they opened this firm um, that is a political consulting firm, like, you know, Olivia Pope, and they basically focus on putting people in power to champion their causes and to champion that, you know, champion people who, whose beliefs align with theirs, making sure that those are the, the people that end up in power. And so um, Linux's nickname becomes the Kingmaker. And Kimba is, they are partners in this firm. And so this is Kimba's story. And um, I just, I had a great time writing this story. It's very, it's very me, you know, there's, it's very diverse. Um, he is, the, the hero is black and Jewish. Um, and I had a great time just kind of digging into Jewish culture and bringing out what it looked like for a young boy in the eighties, because this takes place in the eighties in Georgia, being black and Jewish and, you know, being in synagogues and negotiating kind of this dual identity in the context of um, Georgia in the eighties. And so that was really fascinating fascinating and um, just getting to kind of play around with uh, their second chance because that's what it is. Um, but it's a very multicultural cast, which is kind of typical for, for what I do and uh, lots of real issues. Like I, like I mentioned before, one of the things that comes up, it's not like central, but it's something that was really important to this character was the crown act. And um, you know, I just like playing with real world issues. I like for when somebody's reading romance to kind of bump into it's escapism, but they keep bumping into kind of the real world as they're going along. And this book is definitely like that. Um, if you like scandal um, or if you watched scandal and kind of that, Olivia Pope kind of thing, then this world, because it is three books in this world, it's the All the King's Men duet, which is the Kingmaker and the Rebel King, um, that's one couple's duet, and then it's Kimba. Those three books are all in the same universe, and it's all kind of like this, about power, politics, you know, if you like Scandal, it's kind of, it's a lot like that, <laughs> so... Oh. Thank you. Yeah, that. lots, very sexy, very, <laughs> uh, you know, because people hear politics and they're like, Bleh, yeah, you yeah. know, but it's not, it's not like that. Yeah. It's like saying scandal is like politics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, no, but I love that show. So it's yes, a good comparison yes. from that perspective. Yeah, give me an idea definitely. better. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so here's a clip. Blackstone Publishing presents Queen Move by Kennedy Ryan. This book is read by Ebony Flowers and Jacoby Diem. Dedication. For all the girls who have to work twice as hard, you know who you are. Prologue. Kimba. Two years before present. Is there anything sadder than a daddy's girl at her father's funeral? My mother's quiet sniffs a few seats down give me the answer. A grieving widow. He was a good man. Someone in the long line of mourners offering condolences whispers to her. Mama's head bobs with a tearful nod. In this day and age, she still wears a pillbox hat and veil. It's black and chic like Mama, channeling tragic Jackie Kennedy or Coretta Scott King. My father was not just a good man. He was a great man. And everyone should know he leaves behind a widow, grieving deeply, Whatever fly. I squeeze the funeral program between my fingers, glaring at the printed words. Joseph Allen leaves behind a wife, Janetta, three children, Kayla, Keith, and Kimba, and six grandchildren. He leaves behind. 
Daddy's gone, and I don't know how to live in a world my father does not inhabit. The casket is draped with sweet-smelling flowers in the center of the funeral tent. When we leave the cemetery, it, he, will be lowered into the ground with unfathomable finality, separated from us by white satin lining, six feet of dirt, and eternity. Kayla, my older sister, sobs softly at the end of our family's row. Her four children watch her carefully, probably unused to seeing their unshakable mother shaken and reduced to tears. Even I'd forgotten how she looks when she cries, like she's mad at the wetness streaking her cheeks, resentful of any sign of weakness. It's not weak to cry, Daddy used to say. It's human. But doesn't the Bible say even the rocks will cry out? I challenged him when I was young, loving that something from Sunday school took. So maybe tears aren't just for humans. You're getting too smart for your britches, little girl, he'd said. But the deep affection in his eyes when he kissed me told me he was pleased. He liked that I asked questions and taught me to never accept bullshit at face value. I miss you, Daddy. Not even a week since his heart attack, and I already miss him so much. Humanity blurs my vision, wet and hot and stinging my eyes. I want this to be over. The flowers, the well-dressed mourners, the news cameras stationed at a distance they probably deem respectful. I just want to go to the house where my parents raised us, retreat to Daddy's study, and find the stash of cigars that only he and I knew about. Don't tell your mother, he used to whisper conspiratorially. This will be our little secret. Mama hated the smell of cigars in the house. True? Who would call me by that name? Now, when the only people who use it, my family, are all preoccupied with their own pain. A tall man stands in front of me, his thick, dark brows bunched with sympathy. I don't know him. I would remember a man like this, who stands strong like an oak tree. A well-tailored suit molds his powerful shoulders. Dark brown, not quite black hair is cut ruthlessly short, but hints at waves if given the chance to grow. His prominent nose makes itself known above the full, finely sculpted lips below. His eyes are shockingly vivid. So deep a blue, they're almost the color of African violets, against skin like bronze bathed in sunlight. No, a man like him, you'd never forget. Something niggles at my memory, tugs at my senses. I'd never forget a man who looked like this, a man with eyes like that. But what about a boy? Ezra? I croak, disbelief and uncertainty mingling in the name I haven't uttered in years. It can't be. But it is. In place of the awkward boy I knew stands a man exuding self-assurance in the confident set of his shoulders, the proud bearing of his head. If adolescence was the rough draft, this finished product is a masterpiece of symmetry and beautifully sketched lines. He nods, a tiny smile relieving the sober line of his mouth. Yeah, it's me. Maybe it's the emotion, the vulnerability that shatters the guard I always lock in place. Maybe it's the compassion in his expression, or maybe it's finding 
in the eyes of a stranger, the comfort of a long-lost friend. It could be all of these things, or maybe it's none of them, but I surge to my feet and fling myself into his arms. He doesn't seem as surprised as I am by this ungoverned physicality, his strength tightening around me right away. He's much taller than I am, much taller than the last time I saw him, and he dips a little closer to my ear. I'm so sorry, Kimba, he says. He was one of the finest men I ever met. His words and arms warm places left frigid all week, and this moment melts into a million others I thought I'd lost forever. Ezra and me, tracing our names into wet concrete with sticks, riding our bikes through the streets, shouting and laughing at summer dusk, racing the sun, pumping our legs. So we hope you enjoyed the clip. If you um, have not read the book uh, and we're waiting for the audio, you know, it'll be coming out November 17th. And so almost here, almost here. Yeah. Well, um, I would ask you what you've been working on or what's coming up next, but you did share that already with us. Yes. yes. And so that's awesome. And well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep. And listeners, if you are not following Kennedy on social media, you should. Um, all those links will be in within the podcast as well as the episode um, post at Viviana Enchanters of Books. And until next time, happy listening. A heartfelt thank you to all of our audiobook loving podcast Patreon. Special thanks to Michelle Sutton, Jing Kemp, Jen Franklin, Brittany Cottingham, Kimberly Reed, Leanne Schwartz, Christine Cox, Christy Reitz, Jennifer Graham, Cindy Pittman, Mendy Summer, Jenny Johnson, Jesse Stafford, Chrissy Font, Rhonda Pezzarello, Michelle DaCosta, Emily Dye, Michelle Bestard, Farah Blair, Candace Patel, Carol Liebner, Bethany Crane, and Teresa Martin. The Audiobook Lovin' Podcast has special Patreon access levels. Join today to receive early access to podcast episodes, exclusive content with our guests, and much more. Support the podcast by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash audiobooklovin. We thank you for your support. Thank you for joining us on the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, hosted by Viviana Enchantress of Books. For links and more information discussed in today's episode, previous podcasts, or the Audiobook Lovin' series, please visit our website, vivianaenchantressofbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review wherever you listen to our podcast. Until next time, happy listening.